If this is your first time here, we're so glad you're here. We're in week five of a series called Roads to Revival. And what we're doing in this series, we are going through the book of Romans together. It's an interactive series. It's not just something on Sunday. It's for you to engage with throughout the week. We have a reading plan. And you might be here for the first time. You're like, oh, I'm behind. You can still catch up. we got another week of this. And we're on week five. You can do the reading. And it's kind of engaged at your own pace. But we broke it out. And I'm teaching each week as we go through it on the chapters that we're reading, the, the week that we're going through it. And, uh, you know, the first four weeks that we've been going through Romans, this is kind of like the, the tour hop on, hop off bus uh, of Romans because, you know, you have the opportunity to get in and get a little deeper on your own. But if all you do is come on Sunday, you're going to see the sights and hit the high points, but you're going to miss out on so much of what God wants to do. And Essentially, what we've discovered as we've gone through this is that Paul is writing to the Roman church and he is packing a lot of dense theological concepts in his letter. I mean, as you go through it, we see words like justification and propitiation and imputation and reconciliation and all these Asian words. Like, what are you talking about, Paul? Well, even last week, we looked at the, the topic of God's sovereignty. And within all this, the, the main idea is, is that Paul wants to start by just letting us know the state of affairs. Hey, this is the state that the world is in. This is the current condition of our culture. This is the state of humanity. That's how he starts out. And he says, but this is what God has done for us. And he talks about the gospel message. This is what he's done for us through his son, Jesus. Then from there, he says, this is what that means. And that's justification. This is all the benefits that come with it. And as we get into Romans chapter 12 today, that's where we're going to be. He's going to talk to us about what our response is. Now that we know all this, all that God has done, the state of the world, what God has done, what it means to us, we're talking about our response. And I know like some of you, you you've been here and you're thinking like, pastor, why are we going through all of this deep theological stuff. Like, I'm just trying to make it to Monday. I don't really know if I need to know all this. I get it. I get it. But what you need to understand is we can't even know what we're supposed to do if we haven't first established what we believe. See, doctrine determines duties. Well, once you know what you believe, well, then you know what you're supposed to do. But if you haven't established that yet, everything is going to be a mystery and you can waste so much of your life. Well, Paul's taking these first 11 chapters to define for us what it is we believe. He talks about who Jesus is and what he's accomplished and what we've received from him. Now that we're in chapter 12, it gets to our response. And really, the last four chapters of this book is the believer's response. As we go through this week and next week, it's what should we do if we're in Christ? Now that we've placed our faith in Jesus as a believer, what's our response to all of this? Now, I recognize you might be here and you might not be a believer. If that's the case, I want you to know I'm glad that you're here. We're glad that you're here. In fact, we've designed so much of this church with, with you in mind that you would be able to come into a place and maybe you don't believe yet, but you can be known, you can be served, you can be loved even before you believe. But I'm going to give you an opportunity to believe because we're in a place that really believes. We believe the Bible, believe what 
God has said that it's his word. And at the end of the service, if you'd like to place your faith in Christ, you'll have that opportunity. But what you are going to get today, if you're here and not a believer, you're going to get to see what it means to be a believer, like how we're supposed to live, because that's what Paul is getting into. So if you brought your Bible with you, I brought mine here. You can open it up to Romans chapter 12. That's where we're going to take a look at today. Romans chapter 12. I'm reading from the NIV translation. And this is what Paul says, starting in verse 1. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, in other words, in, in view of everything that we've talked about up to this point, in view of these first 11 chapters of Romans, in view of God's mercy, I'm urging you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, the concept that Paul is introducing us to is called sanctification. I know, another big word. Sanctification, though, is simply the word used to describe that process of becoming more like Christ. In other words, what Paul is saying, hey, in view of all that God has done, in view of everything we've talked about, I want you as believers to endeavor to become more like Christ. And as we get into this chapter, Paul is going to give us some very specific instructions on how this transformation process takes place. And what you're going to find, I imagine you'll find, is that it doesn't happen the way you think. A, a lot of us are confused by transformation. In fact, maybe as we've gone through the series, because we've said we're paving the way for a personal revival, maybe you've even thought that yourself. You're like, hey, I get what we said this series is about, but is it really working? I mean, I'm coming to church, I'm reading my Bible, I don't know that I'm seeing the change take place. How do I know if it's working? How can I tell? And honestly, I'm not sure anything has changed yet. Have you ever noticed that before? How, how many of you have ever tried to change, but you feel stuck in the process? Is that just me? Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's a diet. Maybe it's a discipline. Maybe it's something more significant than that. Maybe it's a behavior that's destructive. And you've tried, but this behavior keeps creeping up, holding you back, and holding you down, and keeping you from the things that God has for you. Well, I want to use today's message to speak to that problem that all of us feel whenever we try to change. So I'm calling this message today, if you're taking notes, the trouble with transformation. The trouble with transformation. Transformation has some trouble. I don't know if you've noticed this, but I'll give you a personal example. Of course, we're in this season called Summer R&R. That's the season of our church. It's Reformation and Revival. But when we started this season, I had a little fun with our staff. We kicked off a health challenge called Summer TNT, which is transformation and tone-up. 
And, you know, the reason we did this is because we're, you know, we're called to a great purpose as ministers, as working in the church, that what we're called to is important. It's important that we have energy to do the things that God has for us to do. It's also important that we have discipline in our life. Discipline makes us better as leaders. Thirdly, nobody likes a pudgy pastor. So I thought, why not just have a little health challenge? And if I'm going to do this, I'm going to make people do it with me. So we went through this, uh, this health challenge, Summer TNT, Transformation and Tone Up. And the way this works, I won't go through the whole thing, but there were like three different ways that people can participate. And, you know, you got to like work out every day and track your workouts, and that's got to be for so long. And then like another th- thing you can earn some points is if you beat your personal best. And that was one. Then the other one is, is to, to drop some LBs, you know, to drop some pounds. And you got to choose which one you want to do. Well, Neither say I, I chose workouts and dropping pounds, and um, I started off really well. I mean, I really did. I started off well, but I had a problem. The, the problem is I was being sabotaged from all around me. My wife would say, like, hey, why don't we go out to eat tonight? And, um, and then she's like, I'll just I'll order some dessert, you know? And she orders grilled chicken, but she's like, you know, just get what you want. You know, you should try that. I had a trip planned with some friends of mine. They made it their mission to get as many desserts as possible with every meal. I didn't know you could order dessert with breakfast, but they did. And they force-fed it to me. It was, it was bad. At the end of the month where we have this going on, I'm thinking, Lord, I feel called to a fast right now. Lord, I'm, I want to win this thing. Lord, help me. And uh, the, the, the trouble with my transformation is that even though I had made a decision with the change in my life. I had outside pressures that were pulling me back in to my old way. And that is exactly the problem that Paul is speaking to when he writes in Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Now, his choice of words is really interesting to me. Because there was this expression in ancient Roman culture that said the opposite. It was in Latin. I'm not going to read the Latin translation to you, but it translated roughly to to this. If you are in Rome, live in the Roman way. You probably heard the more modernized version of it, right? Which is, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. And that's what every American uses when they go to Italy to eat as many carbs as they want. Just like, hey, when in Rome... We're going to do what they do. But this expression reflected the cultural pressure of Rome in this day. You see, at this point in history, the Roman Empire had stretched across three continents, Europe, Northern Africa, and Asia. And when Rome would go in and conquer a new territory, they had some specific things that they would do. Of course, they would erect their Roman infrastructure, first of which was the Roman roads, It's what connected everything. It was very effective in their domination and trade and what allowed them to do what they did. Other buildings and infrastructure like that, they they would enact Roman law, Roman government. It was the Roman authority in places where they occupied, and then they, they would instill Roman education. So every place where they were was very familiar with the Roman way, even though they might have still had their own local customs or local art or even local languages, everyone would have been familiar with the Roman way. This was important because of the 
Roman road system, if you were ever to find your way, find yourself in Rome, you needed to do things the Roman way. If you are in Rome, live the Roman way. If you were here last week, you heard me mention that this was the problem with Emperor Claudius and the Jews. The Jews had been expelled from Rome multiple times. Most recent time, they'd just gotten back in. Most recent time was for five years. Why did they get expelled? Because the Jews were the only people group that did not do things the Roman way. And if you're not going to do things the Roman way, then you don't belong in Rome. Well, it's in this context and against this backdrop that Paul says, hey, I know, Roman church, I know you're familiar with the Roman way. And I know the philosophy of the day is to conform to the customs, the traditions, the culture, and the behavior of the place where you're at. But I'm telling you, Christians, do not conform. Instead, be transformed. Now for us, when we hear that, do not conform, we, we read that with a very narrow view most of the time. When we read Romans 12 two, we read do not conform, we boil it down to, to this microscopic element of it. And, and this is what we think. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. Don't sin. Don't sin. Don't, don't be like the world. Don't sin. Don't, you know, don't do drugs. Don't, you know, get drunk. Don't, don't sleep around. Don't become a cat person. Like, don't do what the world does. Now, obviously, obviously we shouldn't do that stuff. But that, that's, that's not really what this is talking about. Our, our trouble with transformation isn't in the things that we do. See, our, our trouble is we don't understand how it actually happens. It doesn't happen in our lives the way we think. Rather, it happens because of how we think. Here's what Paul is saying. He says, it's not what you're doing. It's how you're thinking. It's the first thing you can write down. It's not what you're doing. It's how you're thinking. You got a trouble with change, a, a problem with transformation. It's not what you're doing that's the problem. It's what you're thinking. When Paul starts talking about conforming to the pattern of this world, he doesn't start with your behavior. He starts with your mind. Look at this again. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Behavior is not the problem. It's the product. B behavior is the consequence of wrong thinking. It's the fruit. It's not the failure. And a lot of us get stuck because we're trying to change our behavior. Paul says, you got to start with what you're thinking. Think about it this way. The Bible calls us to repentance. When we think of repentance, what we generally associate with it is I need to confess what I've done and feel sorry about it. Now, that's good. Nothing wrong with that. Both those things are byproducts of the process of repentance. But repentance is not confessing your sin. Conf repentance is not feeling sorry. 
Repentance is not the 30-second prayer at the end of service. Repentance is when you change your mind. So that, that prayer at the end of service, that's the opportunity to repent. It's the opportunity for you to say, you know, I'm going to turn from this. And if you've been struggling with your behavior today, if you've been trying to change but can't, if you've been having trouble with transformation, you need to repent, yes. But what I mean by that is you need to change the way you think. you got to recognize a believer thinks differently than the way the world thinks. We don't think the same. That's what Paul's talking about. If you're a believer, you got to think different. How does the world think? Well, the world thinks, man, i got to get what I can, while I can, wherever I can. Look, who else is looking out for me? Nobody's looking out for me. Got to get what I can, where I can, while I can. Believer thinks differently. Believer says, you know what? I, I want to give what I can, where I can, while I can. Because time is short. There's an eternity, but I've got time here on earth. I can't do everything, but I can do something. So I, I, I want to give what I can, where I can, while I can. The world thinks, hey, what's in this for me? Some opportunity? Some people, I, I don't know. What's, what's, what's in it for me? Now, a believer thinks differently. People thinks, what can I put into this? This is an opportunity. God, is there something here that you want me to invest in? A way that I can make a difference? Something that you want me to do? The, the world thinks, and it feels good. It is good. If it's in me, it must be good. If it feels right. It must be right. Believer thinks differently. Believer thinks, you know, what I feel is not always an accurate reading of what's right. I can't just trust my feelings. It's Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Sometimes I don't feel like raising my kids. Sometimes I don't feel like loving Marissa. Sometimes I don't feel like going to work. Sometimes I don't feel like going to church. Should I just follow my feelings? No. I don't make decisions just based on how I feel. Because some of the things that I feel, if I follow through with them, I will not like the fruit that they produce. Sometimes people feel broken. And the world thinks, man... I'm a product of my past. Everything that's happened in my life, that's just the way that I am. I can't change. A believer thinks, in Christ, you are a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Your past does not have to dictate your future. You have a, a new destiny in Christ. Th think about people who feel transgendered. The world thinks they feel broken on the inside. The world thinks you got to break the outside to match the brokenness of the inside. Believer thinks Jesus can heal me from the inside out. It's a different way of thinking. I, I, I can't have and think the same way the world thinks if I'm a believer. It's a different filter. The world looks through the filter of self. The believer has already died to self. I don't live for myself. It's Christ in me, the, the hope of glory. That's why Paul uses the word sacrifice. See, a sacrifice would be 
killed and laid on the altar. He says, you got to die to self. That's why you're a living sacrifice. So what makes the world angry? Shouldn't be the same thing that makes me angry. What makes the world frustrated? Shouldn't be the same thing that makes me frustrated. What the world celebrates shouldn't be the same thing that I celebrate. What the world values or esteems shouldn't be the same thing that I value or esteem. If you're struggling with transformation, what I'm trying to help you see is it's not what you're doing, it's what you're thinking. You're thinking like the world. you got to change your thinking first. And since Paul brought up sacrifice, let me talk about sacrifice for a moment because he says, I want you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice if we're going to understand what he's talking about, what we have to do is shift our view of sacrifice. We have a skewed view of sacrifice. See, sacrifice is not about what you're giving up. Sacrifice is about what you're giving to. So many of us avoid sacrifice because the only thing in our mind is, man, I'm going to have to give up so much. I don't want to give anything. I mean, it's just not American. I don't want to give anything up. I want everything I can get. That's the way I think. Sacrifice is not about what you're giving up. It's about what you're giving to. And I get the sentiment because anytime you neglect something for the benefit of another, it, it, feels, it, it feels like you're giving something up. But that's the wrong frame. It's not what you're giving up. It's what you're, you're gaining. Really, sacrifice is about priorities. It's about what's important. That's why we have a saying at our church, part of our culture here, is we love sacrifice. That's foreign in the world today. Well, what do we mean by that? It means we want to have right priorities. We, we want to make sure we're prioritizing the right thing and the main thing. And admittedly, this is hard in our culture. Why? Because we have competing priorities. It's hard to know what am I supposed to do in this moment, you know? A am I supposed to be consistent right now or am I supposed to be flexible? Am I supposed to play with my kids or do I need to do the dishes and clean the house? Should I be saving money or am I supposed to take my wife out to eat? It's always take my wife out to eat. Always. That's always the choice. <laughs> it's hard because we have conflicting priorities. But what I want you to see, I, I, I want to help you understand that sacrifice is going to happen. It's, it's, it's not will you sacrifice? No. Sacrifice is going to happen because if you don't sacrifice for what you want, you will sacrifice. What you want will be the sacrifice. So we have a wrong view of sacrifice. We think we're giving something up. No, it's what we're giving to. And if we have a wrong view, it keeps us from being a giver. And it is hard to get where you're going if you are not a giver. I mean, just think, you want to have a great marriage? Try that without sacrifice. It's not going to work. You want your marriage to work? You got to work. That's why Marissa and I have such a great marriage because I sacrifice so much. I give and I give and I give and she takes. <laughs> you know that's not true. It's definitely the other way around. But when Paul says, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice for this is worship, he's saying, this needs to be a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. Worship is not the Sunday service. Worship is not the 20 minutes that we have before the preaching starts. Worship is a lifestyle. It's what we offer. It's what we give to God. Think about this. We're, 
at the end of service, you know, we're going to have an opportunity to give. And it's been said, to me, man, this church is so generous. I'm so thankful for each and every one of you. Just you support this ministry because of what you do. We're able to do things like today. We got this car show happening. We got, you know, Pronto and a mascot for the kids. And we had a, a men's barbecue. And we got like a family bash happening. And we got like a Yoko service happening next week. And they're all, you know, we're sending kids to youth conferences. All these different things that happen, that happen because of your generosity. Thank you for that. This church isn't funded because of some outside organization or some grants or anything like that. It's because the people in this church fund the ministry. Thank you for that. Thank you. But, but, but maybe you're new and, and, and you don't give or you haven't given before. Let me just explain that a little bit, explain this process. Because people give because they love God. They give because they want to see this ministry continue. More people reach. In fact, if you have been impacted by this ministry, if if the preaching has helped your life, if your family has been impacted, it's because somebody's given. Like, just to make it personal, it's because somebody's given. So people give because they want to advance. Some people give 10% of their income. That's called a tithe. Some people do more than that because they want this ministry to expand. And when we bring our tithe or we give an offering, those are two different things. When we do that, what I want you to see, that is a portion of your life. That's not your life. It's part of your life, but God wants all of your life. Now, I'm not telling you that to, like, go put your feet in the bucket when it's passed by. That would be weird, okay? Don't do that. But what I'm saying is your heart, God wants all your life, not just a portion of your income, not just a little giving here. He wants you to serve. Sacrifice is a way of life. That's why Paul goes on to say in the next part, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So God's given to you first. And with what God has given you, he says, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many form one body, and each member belongs to the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. What I'm trying to help you see is that it is so much bigger. When we talk about what you're giving to, it's not just what can I part with. I want to see that God has given you gifts, and part of transformation is using the gifts that he's given you. Let me put it this way. When I talk about it's not what you give up, it's what you give to, here's another frame. It's not what I can do without. It's what do I have to offer. It's a different frame. This is the shift from being a consumer to a contributor. It's so important you understand this because you will never be able to be who God has called you to be until you understand that your purpose in life is connected to a problem. See, transformation does not happen in isolation. Put it differently. There's a trouble with transformation. 
This is the golden thread that links all of creation because everything that God created, he created to solve a problem. Let's just start in the beginning. God wanted to display his glory. He wanted to have a love relationship. So what did he do? Created Adam. Adam was lonely. So what did he do? He created Eve. And your life is the solution to somebody else's problem. You you need to think of your contribution as an assignment to someone's trouble, an assignment from God. Because as long as you live without contributing, you will always be unfulfilled. That's why we offer essentials. That session that happens before service or after service, the reason we do that is because the church is not a program. The church is not an hour-long service. Paul said it in what we just read. The church is a body. It's a body, and you have a part to play. We're all part of this body. As a believer, says, you want to become more like Christ? You need to do your part. You need to be part. I want you to discover what your gifts are. I want you to discover where you belong, what your place is, how you can be used, the difference you can make. It's easy to come in and think, oh, you know, it's, it's mid-June. Looks like they got everything under control. Must not need me. Regardless of what your perspective is, whether this is your first time or your 101st time, you're vital. If you're part of the body of Christ, you're vital. You have something to contribute. We want you to be a part here because God has graced you and he's gifted you And this is what Paul's getting to in the next verse, verse 9. He says, so love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality, bless those who persecute persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another, do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position, do not be conceited. In other words, let me sum all that up, we have a mission, we got a mission, and as I look through that list, I'm struck by the fact that Paul was more encouraging than exclusive, meaning he, he was pointing people to the things they should practice, not what was prohibited. You look at his list, it's a lot more of do this, start this, encourage, believe, not don't do this. And I, I think the reason he, he clarifies it in the very last verse of this chapter, Romans 12, 21, why do we need to know this? Because he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In other words, if you want to experience the process of transformation, you want to experience the process of sanctification in your life, it's not in trying to stop, it's in deciding to start. It's not about, I got to quit this, I got to stop that, I I, got to eliminate this thing from my life. No. It's about, I'm going to bless. I'm going to give. I'm going to encourage. 
I'm going to serve. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to praise. I'm going to hope. I'm going to believe. I'm going to step out. I'm going to walk. I'm going to go. I'm going to leave behind my comfort zone. I I might have messed up yesterday, but I'm going to make a decision to start again today. I I might have fallen short last night, but I'm going to get back up again this morning. It's not about, man, I got to eliminate this stuff. The, the process of sanctification happens when you decide to start. What do I have to offer? What can I give to? Where's the place I need to change my thinking? I'm not trying to fix myself. No, I'm going to trust God in this process. I'm going to trust God with my trouble and believe that I am being transformed.